You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Cole Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the host of this podcast. In this week's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with my dear friend, colleague, and in many respects mentor, Marshall Dallas. In our conversation, we discussed Psalm 13 and the concept of finding joy in the midst of sorrow. We also talked about praying vulnerable and seemingly scandalous prayers and the ways that the Psalms have been a blessing to us, especially in the recent years of our lives. I've always loved talking to Marshall about the Bible and the Christian experience because of the way he both values believing the right things and putting those beliefs into practice in meaningful ways. And in this conversation, we were able to discuss some theological realities expressed in Psalm 13, and then Marshall really helped explain why those things matter and how we can apply them as we read, pray, and even sing the Psalms. So I hope this conversation is as enjoyable and beneficial for you to listen to as it was for me to participate in. With no further ado, here's that conversation between me and Pastor Marshall Dallas. All right, I'm here with Marshall Dallas, the pastor of church planning for Sojourn Houston and one of the elders at Sojourn Montrose. And so Marshall, just for um, people who might be listening who are less familiar with Sojourn Montrose and Uh, Sojourn Houston in general. You want to just briefly introduce yourself and tell us what your role is and yeah. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, Like Cole said, my name is uh, Marshall Dallas. I am the pastor of church planting for Sojourn Houston. Uh, Sojourn Houston is a, uh, is one church um, made up of multiple congregations um, and we are active in hoping to plant uh, churches throughout our city uh, in every neighborhood, such that uh, every man, woman, and child um, within these respective geographies would have an opportunity to uh, come into contact with the, uh, the life-giving, um, life-changing um, message of the gospel. Um, and so uh, I, I became a part of Sojourn, um, I guess it's not quite 10 years ago, um, but came on to help plant our, our first congregation, uh, Sojourn Heights, and was sent out of Sojourn Heights uh, just a couple of years later to plant Sojourn Montrose. Um, that was uh, almost seven years ago now, um, but recently stepped out of the role of leading that congregation and now uh, serve to help our, our family of, of congregations plant more churches in the city. Yeah, thanks. And you are also a husband and a father. Yes, yeah, uh, married to my wife, Nicole, now for uh, nine years, going on ten, and we have two wonderful children. Uh, my daughter is five, her name is Olivia, and my son is uh, two, and his name is Levi. Yeah, um, that's great um, to hear a little bit about what you do and who you are. Um, as this is um, a podcast uh, that focuses on the Psalms, just thought I'd ask what role the Psalms play in your life as a Christian? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And obviously I think we could probably go on, uh, on that topic for a while, but I think 
primarily speaking, uh, the Psalms right now um, have really been a much more significant source of um, help, uh, joy, understanding um, than they ever have been um, in my Christian life. I think it's it, it was it was always very easy to kind of uh, scoot past the Psalms uh, for any number of reasons. Um, if you know me, I'm not sort of the most emotional person. Um, and the Psalms are filled with those. Um, I'm, I'm much more of the sort of rational thinker. I like to distance myself, I think, sometimes from emotion through rational thinking. And so I've always loved, you know, of course, the, the Romans and Galatians and sort of these really uh, heavy theological treatise type portions of the scripture. Um, but so I, I really, in some ways, feel like I'm sort of discovering the Psalms for the first time um, in this season of my life. And so, um, but I think sort of those those few things that I mentioned up at the front um, are, are the role really that it's playing right now is just a, a source of, of help, um, a source of joy, um, and a place really where I'm, I'm sort of freed up to or given license by, I think, uh, by the scriptures to explore uh, my emotions in ways that maybe I haven't before. Yeah, I think that that's very similar to what I've experienced with the Psalms. I think for so long, especially as a young Christian and a young man, I looked to the Bible primarily as a, a guide for how I ought to think and believe as a Christian, and so how to form a doctrinal opinion on X, Y, or Z, or how to view the world around me from a logical and theological perspective. And I think recently realizing that the Psalms in many ways inform the day-to-day Christian living of just experiencing every day as a member of God's kingdom. And I find it really helpful as the Psalms kind of give me a voice when I don't know how to express those things like you were talking about where even sometimes I'll read a Psalm and realize that I'm feeling a way I had no idea I was feeling before I read, um, what, what somebody was feeling maybe thousands of years ago. Um, and so you're here, um, today and you, you told me that you wanted to focus primarily on Psalm 13, uh, which for those of you listening, uh, was one of the Psalms that we prayed through last week as a church. Um, and so, uh, before we jump into discussing Psalm 13, do you want to just read that for us? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So... As you kind of came in today to this uh, conversation, wanting to talk about uh, Psalm 13, what do you see or hear in that psalm that specifically made you want to discuss it today? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, 
there's a number of things. And I mean, I think some of it was uh, maybe alluded to or hinted to just in our initial discussion of what the Psalms um, mean for me right now. Um, what, what I really uh, loved about this Psalm or what I really, I should say, resonated with was just that those initial couple of questions. Um, again, for those who are listening to the podcast and, and know me, uh, you have a little bit more of a background of what the last couple of years of my life have looked like, but suffice it to say, without going into all the detail here, um, they've been filled with, um, just pain and difficulty and, um, emotions that, like I said, I think, I think for a long time I would have sort of just skated past. Um, and so, uh, to be perfectly honest, man, those those uh, initial questions just feel like questions that um, that I've asked of the Lord, but not felt free to ask, if that makes sense. Um, I've thought them in my brain, and sort of as soon as they've come up, it's been very easy to kind of set them aside. You know, I, I, I grew up um, very much uh, having sort of the idea of re- rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice sort of almost beaten into me, which sounds weird. And I'm not, I'm not making the case that we shouldn't be a people who rejoice. We absolutely should be. Um, but we see just this wonderful tension, um, throughout many Psalms, but specifically in Psalm 13, um, of giving voice to emotions that seem to set themselves up against something like joy. Um, there is a despairing quality, uh, to those initial questions, you know, um, and I think the best way I can kind of bring it, bring it um, down low or make it more clear and less vague is just to say, I think some days I feel like I'm on mile 28 of a marathon, um, which for those of you that run marathons, you should know that uh, 28 miles is longer uh, than the average marathon. Uh, 26.2 is a marathon. So all, all I mean to say by that is um, that I just feel like I've been going. Uh, for a long time and that question of okay like when is when does when does this stop where's the finish line because um, it feels like it should have been a couple miles ago it's, it's kind of what life feels like for me and so um, so yeah that that was the first thing um, that sort of uh, piqued my interest in regards to the selection of psalms that we went through last week um, yeah yeah, I'm looking here at the first couple of voice verses, especially verse one that has these these questions that, in my mind, the thought of of coming before the Lord and and asking Him how long He will forget me forever it's it's kind of scandalous um, in a way to to accuse the Lord of forgetting forgetting us. And, and it would be really scandalous if we read it and it said, Oh Lord, you have forgotten me. Right. But he's, he's asking this question that is, is rhetorical in a sense that is giving voice to this feeling of, of being forgotten or endless suffering. And I think that, I think that what you're talking about is really important for us as Christians to feel the freedom, um, to just admit that we feel forgotten, even if we haven't been, um, or that, that our suffering or struggle is endless, even if it's not. I know that for the better part of my life as a young man, just battling 
sin in, in different ways and feeling like there was just no victory to be had. And I remember coming to Psalm one uh, to, to Psalm 13 and saying, how long will you forget me forever? Like I ask you to free me from this. I ask you to, to, to give me more holiness, to give me more resolve against temptation or whatever it is and feeling like totally crippled in it. And now in a different stage of life, there are other ways in which I've experienced that. I know that that you've experienced that in regards to just suffering in your family. And I think we can identify with each other there, even though the suffering at times has been, has been different. Um, and so, yeah, that just talk a little bit more about that tension between like a, a question or a prayer that, that feels almost scandalous as a Christian to bring to the Lord and, and, and what kind of freedom we have and how freeing it can be to actually give voice to those things. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's really the beauty of this psalm and so many other psalms where there's sort of uh, a lament that's happening um, is that, you know, there, there is an intellectual knowledge that the psalmists, plural, the guys who are writing this, but um, but in this particular psalm, David... Um, like they're not, they don't not know the truths of God, right? Um, this is the same guy who in Psalm one says he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, like that he knows who God is, um, personally in an intimate way. He knows his characteristics. He knows what he's like and he describes him to us, um, really well again throughout the Psalms. Um, so it's not that he doesn't know. Um, and, and for me, n- my knowledge of God, or my knowledge about God, I should say, those are two very different things. My knowledge about God um, has always been pretty full, and it's but it's always been something that I've used to tamp down my feelings about life, um, or to you know ignore my feelings about life. And I I just I love that there's that tension here, where there's a very clear expression of emotion. Um, without sort of, um, without equivocation, without sort of an immediate jump to, well, we know that this isn't true. Like David knows that he's not forgotten. We're going to find that out later on in the Psalm, but he feels it nonetheless and he expresses it. So again, it's, it's one of those things that whether it's the word scandalous or the word taboo, it's one of those things like, am I allowed to say this even if I know that it's not true? And the answer resoundingly that Psalm 13 gives us is yes. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things in that that has been really helpful for me is the realization of Jesus relying on the Psalms and, and even speaking the Psalms as his own speech in some significant moments in his life and realizing that if Psalm 13 is a prayer that is appropriate for the sinless one, the righteous one to speak, then it's appropriate for me to speak. You know, if the Lord Jesus can feel forgotten by the father so much that he's, he would say, will you forget me forever? Which we have to imagine that he recited or sang or prayed this psalm regularly throughout his life that that we can faithfully walk into those psalms that might feel taboo or scandalous or theologically questionable 
which what an absurd thing to say about the divine word of God that it's theologically questionable. But I think that sometimes, especially in our reformed tribe, like we can come to things like this and get uncomfortable because, like, well, the Lord hasn't forgotten you. The Lord would never forget you. He always is with you. And yeah, and to know that, well, Jesus would be would feel confident praying this. And so I can feel confident praying this. Yeah. And that's like, again, for me, and I, I think we probably share a very similar theological background. So much of my background growing up was just that it was diving into theological treatise, um, which are helpful and good and necessary. Like, so I don't, I definitely don't want to get away from that. We want to be theologically precise. Um, but that's not, that's not exactly what, what the Psalms are there for, for us. Um, they are there to kind of help us, um, live in that tension between our lived experience and the brokenness and the suffering and the pain and the very clear revelation that God is who he says he is, that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that he's kind, that he's long suffering, um, that he's filled with loving kindness, that his steadfast love endures forever and that those refrains um, can intermingle with our expressions of suffering and lament. Yeah, that's good. I read, I read the the anxiety or the sorrow or the fear in the voice of David in this psalm, and I wonder um, what what do you think are are some situations or some circumstances that some of our people or just Christians listening might be going through for whom this psalm could be particularly helpful? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's really pretty broad. Um, it's really pretty broad. I, so for me personally, like I, I'm, when I'm reading of it, when I'm reading it, I, I'm thinking more in terms of just um, the enemy of sin. So, so David does talk about uh, enemy uh, in this particular text. He says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Um, that's kind of how I feel is just, Hey, like we have, we have an enemy in, in the world, um, around us that's actively working, um, towards destruction, um, and disunity and all of those things. And a lot of the, whether it's sin expressing itself through certain people who have died in my life, like death as a, as a result of sin, whether it's, uh, sort of the pain of, of loss and broken fellowship or broken relationship, um, those are all effects of sin. Um, I experience them personally in a unique way, obviously. Um, but I think all of those are absolutely, um, applicable. I think certainly this is also applicable to, to those, um, you know, in, in the time that we find ourselves in right now, um, where, um, racial disunity is so incredibly uh, clear um, where disparities in the way people of different races are treated in our country um, is so clear and obvious um, that this psalm is a great comfort for that as well. Um, where again, I mean, the, the enemy here for David is very specific, but I think the enemy for the Christian um, can be can be very broad, um, and it can just be simply that which is unrighteous around us, uh, be it a person, be it a thing, uh, be it a system, a structure, um, an experience, you know, that would try to um, cut us off or that would try to convince us that the Lord will, in fact, forget us. 
um, forever, um, that he will, in fact, hide his face from us. Um, so again, I, I think it's really fairly broad. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one of the, just the themes that I, I see, especially in the first four, four, four verses is loneliness. Like, and, and it makes me think of all of our brothers and sisters who struggle with, um, mental and emotional illness, um, anxiety, depression, um, and, and just low self-esteem or, or even just social, social loneliness, like feeling, um, you know, someone who is, is struggling in with, with being single and not wanting to be single or, um, in a church community where they're finding it hard to fit into social groups and, and this feeling of being alone and forgotten. Um, but then we get to verses five and six. Right. And, and so just talk a little bit about that transition and, and how do you get from being in a place where you're asking the Lord, how long will you forget me forever? Consider and answer me, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Like these are serious and dark things two verses five and six where it says, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that it is very easy to, because there's such a stark transition between those two verses, it's, it's almost as if either a different person is writing them or the situation has sort of resolved itself, right? Um, but I really, I mean, the way I read it and the reason I think it's connected the way it is in a, in a singular psalm, like if David is writing and or singing and or reading and or praying verses one through four in tears, um, I'm guessing he's doing the same thing with verses five and six, right? So again, this is where, I think we're really being given permission to, through tears, um, through outward expression of sort of deep emotion, lament, sorrow, um, regret, sadness, whatever it is, um, we can both bring sort of whatever the complaint is or the thinking is, the feeling is, and at the same time, through the same tears, be able to turn and say, but I... I have trusted in your steadfast love. I, like this is where the, the resolve sort of seeps in. I'm going to trust your faith, uh, your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. It might not feel like it. And this is what I think is so wonderful um, is our, I think sometimes we feel like if I feel this certain way, then maybe I'm not a Christian, right? Like if I feel this feeling in this moment, instead of joy, instead of gratitude, instead of, sort of these other feelings that I'm told to have in other parts of scripture, namely in the new Testament. Um, like then maybe I'm not a Christian. And again, like there's just so much comfort in seeing this here and kind of knowing like, no, you're, you're absolutely a Christian. You're just trusting the Lord through the tears. And this is why I think there's so much literature in particular um, in the new Testament that talks about how much suffering really deepens and widens the faith of the followers of Jesus, because it's at that moment that those things that were sort of theoretical or philosophical in our heads translate to 
um, real dependence, like real faith, right? That's what faith ultimately is. Um, it's very easy to have beliefs that go untested. It's when they are tested and then found to be true um, that we really, we, we not only see them for what they are, but we find ourselves actively dependent upon those realities. And I think that's, again, where this is another moment where David just kind of says, look, I, I don't necessarily see or feel God's faithfulness, but there is historical record, not only in my life, but in the life of this people that I belong to, which for him was Israel, but for us now is the church, um, which is 2,000 years old and not for lack of the efforts of the enemy, right? Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, that's where he that's where he ends up, and then, and of course that final, that final verse, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me, and this is where I'm so grateful, um, just for the care um, that Sojourn sort of historically um, has taken for the songs that we sing, because so often um, that's the language that comes up. Um, Great is Thy faithfulness is one of my favorite hymns, um, and it so often comes to minds in moments where I am questioning whether or not he is. Um, And so in the same way that the hymns and the things that we sing come to mind like that, I mean, the Psalms are essentially the hymn book of God's people throughout history. And so I want, I don't only want sort of contemporary or or even more traditional hymns to be the language that my soul sings in suffering. I also want the language of God's word, God's hymn book, if you will, um, to fulfill that function in my life as well. Um, and again, that's what, I think that's exactly what's, what's happening here in Psalm 13. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if I were to kind of leave us with something, if I were to kind of leave us with, um, a hope it would just be that um, you wouldn't spend so much of your time like me um, sort of engaged in a, a theoretical head exercise of, of Christianity, although that side of things is important. I just think our tradition in many ways has um, it if it's uh, if it's a pendulum swing, then we've sort of swung too far over. Um, and I want I would want our people at Sojourn and really any Christian listening, just to know that uh, our emotions are not accidental or sinful um, if we are bringing them to Christ and then trusting him with them. Um, He makes not only allowance for those things, I would say he welcomes them, and not only does he welcome them, but he shares in them, which is the craziest part of all of it, right? This is when, this is like when Lazarus dies and Jesus knows he's going to go, you know, raise him from the dead, but he weeps anyway. Um, he shares that emotion. He doesn't say, don't you know that I'm powerful over death? Don't you know that I can and will, you know, don't like, like these are people that have witnessed Jesus's miracles and Jesus still lays no burden on them to think or feel or to have their feelings immediately sort of overcome by rational thinking. Yeah. He welcomes the feeling. He shares the feeling. 
and walks them through it. And I think that's ultimately what uh, our gracious God is doing for us in, in the Psalms, specifically in Psalm 13. Yeah, I, I think that is absolutely right. There's this, and very much in the small town Texas that I grew up in, there was always this false dichotomy of you can you can be sad and you can feel sorry for yourself or, or whatever it is, or you can have hope and be joyful in the Lord. And here we see that that both of those things can exist and almost exist best when coupled with one another. Like there's a, a beauty that is present in suffering and having hope, being mourning and, and rejoicing at the same time that it's, it's another level of, of bearing the image of God in, in terms of expressing ourselves and experiencing the reality that he's given us to walk in, which is not one where, where we, if we're faithful as Christians, we will suffer. And I mean, if we're human, we'll suffer, but especially if we take the work of the kingdom seriously, we're going to suffer and enemies are going to taunt us and, and all of these things are going to happen. And so are, are we going to pretend that we're not suffering and just try to, you know, do a joker and paint a smile on our face? Or are we going to acknowledge the hardship and the sorrow and the pain and the failure at times? And still come to the Lord and say, but I trust you and yeah. you're good. And, and I want nothing else. Like you can, y- you are still the portion that I want. Um, and that's something I want to grow in, um, because it's easy to feel that either or, um, and, and even in relationship to pretend or not even as dishonest as pretend, but but almost hope for myself that I can just will myself to joyfulness and, and hopefulness and therefore cast aside some of the harder things that I'm experiencing rather than walking in them both at the same time in a way that's beautiful and honest. Yeah. I mean, joy, like I think what the Bible's telling us is that joyfulness doesn't come in spite of, or at the release of suffering, but through suffering. And I think ultimately that's what, that's really what Romans eight is sort of all about is it is like suffering is the backdrop to glory. Like in some ways we don't need hope or experience hope if we don't suffer. Right. Which is why Paul, even in sort of a more theological portion of scripture scripture tells us um, that the world was subjected to futility in hope in hope and then it's in walking through that futility and in seeing the God who foreknew and predestined and justified us who also walks us through to glory like that it's in that um, that we really experience both hope and glory and all of sort of the goodness and graciousness that's wrapped up in him uh, that maybe we wouldn't have understood otherwise yeah I think that's right and I think that's a good place to end. Uh, I think that's a good end note uh, for us, but thanks so much uh, for coming on and sharing about Psalm 13 and not only just about what it means and how we can apply it, but the ways that that it and the Psalms in general have been meaningful to you. Um, Yeah, so thanks for being here. It was a pleasure.
All right.